Welcome to the Tips for Homeschool Science Show, where we're breaking down the lofty ideals of teaching science into building blocks you can use in your homeschool. I'm Paige Hudson, and for season four of this podcast, we are working through the four stages of teaching science to help you create a roadmap for your homeschooling journey. Welcome back. In today's episode, I want to share with you several different ways we have used the six tools we talked about in episode 68 to accomplish the goals of middle school science. The possibilities are endless, but I hope that these glimpses at how middle school science has worked in our home and how middle school science could work in your home will help you get a picture at how you could do science during these years. Just like during the elementary years, the method you choose to teach science will depend upon the interests of your student and your strengths as a teacher. No one way is better than any, no one way is better than another. It's really dependent upon which method fits your homeschool the best. That's why I always say that curriculum is meant to be a tool, not your master, because we should shape the programs we use to fit our unique situations. I'm going to describe four different scenarios, two from our homeschool, doing science within the classical model and featuring nature study, and two that are more theoretical, using living books and piecing together units. All of these options are similar to what we chatted about in the elementary years episode, which was number 66, but the difference is that during the middle school years, you're digging a bit deeper into the concepts, as well as expecting more output from your student. I'm not going to go into what it looks like to do a science fair project, as we've covered this in previous podcasts. Instead, we'll look at a snapshot of the week. Again, these are all valid ways to teach science. So choose one that will work best for your homeschool or create your own eclectic mix of the six tools we discussed in the last episode. So with that said, let's dig in. Scenario number one, doing science within the classical model. It's no secret that I'm a fan of classical education, especially the model described in The Well-Trained Mind by Jesse Wise and Susan Wise Bauer. And so for most of our daughter's middle school years, we did science within the context of the classical model for home education. When you teach classical science during the middle school years, your week is centered on experiments that are enhanced with reading from visually appealing encyclopedias, advanced notebooking, and sketches. You will also add in the classical hallmark of memory work and a few extra projects along the way. So here's what a week of doing science within the classical model for middle school science look like for us. The focus of this particular week we're talking about with biology for the logic stage was jellyfish and coral, both of which are part of the phyla cynodarium. The week's experiment was entitled, How Do Corals Grow? We began by reading the introduction provided in the student guide and talked about how our daughter thought corals grew. She wrote a short hypothesis down on her experiment sheet before we read over the materials in the procedure section together. I made sure that she understood what she had to do and helped her gather the materials before letting her loose to complete the experiment on her own. I did stay within earshot in case she needed help. Our second day of the week began with her reading the assigned selection before we discussed the spread using the questions provided in the teacher's guide. After our discussion, we went back over the week's memory work, and then she went back to her room to write down a list of six to eight facts from the passage. She showed me her work the next morning during our morning meeting before we went over the memory work again, and then I assigned the vocabulary and sketch work for her to do on the third day. 
on day four of our week, I checked her work once more, and then we fixed anything that needed to be changed before we went over the memory work again. Then we spent a bit of time looking up a video on the coral reef and watching it before I asked her to read one of the optional reading assignments. At the time, we were working on writing short reports, so I told her that once she was done reading, I wanted her to sum up the coral reef in one sentence, to write three to four sentences in which she shared some interesting facts about the coral reef, and to conclude her report with why she liked the coral reef. The mini-research report is not something that we did every week, but she really enjoyed learning about the coral reef, and I thought it was a good time to capitalize on that interest. At the end of the unit, we did have a test, so I didn't give weekly quizzes when we worked through this program. This scenario took us about 10 to 20 minutes a day of working together and about 20 to 30 minutes of independent work to complete. Scenario number two, featuring nature study. So nature study is something that we like to do as a family. Typically, it's just the icing on our science cake. But we have had weeks where we've taken a break from our current science programs to focus on finding science in nature. During those times, my middle schooler also enriched our time outside by adding in scientific readings, organized journaling, and a bit of internet research. If you want to learn more about nature study, I suggest checking out episode eight. But here's what a week featuring nature study for middle school science looked like for us. For the particular week, we didn't have an exact subject we were looking for on our nature walk. Our oldest was working through physics for the logic stage, and we were taking a break from the program as she had just wrapped up a unit and we were planning on traveling. So my plan was to reinforce what she was learning by using natural objects to learn about gravity. So we started the week by taking a walk outside as a family, looking for objects that were around the same size, things like seed pods, small rocks, fruits, nuts. We looked for objects that were round and about the same size, but different weights. As we went along, we also tried to identify what we found and put several of the objects into a baggie to use once we got home. So at home, I had both our kiddos hold the round objects in their hands and drop them at the same time to observe what happened. Spoiler alert, both the objects hit the ground at the same time. So I shared a bit about gravity with both the kids and then released our youngest to keep on repeating the test while I discussed what we'd done more deeply with our oldest. We talked about gravity, which she had learned about in previous weeks, along with why we saw what we did, and about Galileo, who did the very same experiment, only he used one heavy ball and one light ball. Then we added another layer by having her drop a round object alongside of a large flat leaf before we discussed how air resistance had affected those results. After we were done our testing and discussion time, we sat down to work on journal sheets. Our oldest included the date, the location, and a sketch of the two tests we had done, along with a list of the objects we tested and several sentences about what we did and what she learned under each sketch. Later in the week, I had her read about air resistance and flight from the Kingfisher Science Encyclopedia. When she finished reading, we discussed what she learned before she wrote a brief report about the two concepts on the next page in her nature journal. On another day during the week, I had her add the definitions of air resistance, gravity, weight, and mass to her nature journal. Then we flipped back to her sketches and drew arrows to show the forces at work during the nature experiment. On the final day of our week, we searched for YouTube videos about Isaac Newton and his contributions to the concept of gravity. We watched the video and then she added several sentences about Isaac Newton to her nature journal. 
When you feature nature study as your main plans for science, you learn about the floral and fauna around you. You create a more detailed nature journal entry with sketches, and then you can add in additional reading and writing on the subject, plus a bit of internet research later on in the week to give the students yet another touch point with the material. If we had used only nature study for science that year, I would have also created a more thematic unit uh, with quizzes and would have added in a science fair project at some point during the year. That said, this took us several hours one day as a family and about an hour and a half spread out over the rest of the week to complete. So these next two scenarios are not actual weeks from our homeschool, because by the time we got to the middle school years, we were pretty set in what worked best for us. But these are based on years of teaching science, partnered with the knowledge that comes from talking to hundreds of homeschoolers about how they've actually taught science. So scenario number three would be using living books. Similar to the elementary years, the living books approach to middle school science is centered on a living book. So what the student learns from the living book is then fleshed out through the use of the other five tools. So through hands-on inquiries, through organized writing, internet research, quizzes and tests, and the yearly science fair project. The students can read from a living book, such as a classic like the Wonder Book of Chemistry, or from a more modern option like the Sassafras Science Adventures. We have a list of options for you to see at the website, which you can check out by heading over to the show notes found at elementalscience.com slash blogs slash podcast slash 69, which is this episode's number. So since we discussed the more modern option for our elementary science stop, let's use a classic for this scenario. My only caveat here is that the classics were written quite a long time ago, and science has advanced just a bit since then. So if you choose a classic living book for science, be aware that you're going to have to address the gaps and changes in our understanding of science. So here's what a week using living books for middle school science could look like. You would begin the week by reading a chapter, such as chapter two in the Wonder Book of Chemistry by Jeannie Fabre. In this chapter, Uncle Paul teaches his nephew about mixtures and about how to separate mixtures. Once the students finish reading the chapter, you would discuss what was read. You could ask questions like, how did the boys know that the powder was sulfur and that the filings were iron? What is a mixture? And what were the two methods the boys used to separate the mixture? So the next day, you would have them read about separating mixtures from either the Osborne Science Encyclopedia, from the DK Eyewitness Chemistry, or maybe from the Kingfisher Science Encyclopedia. Then you would have them create an outline from that text. You would have the students define mixture, solution, solvent, and reaction in their notebook. And after that, you would have them draw a diagram of one of the methods that the boys used to separate the mixture, labeling all the key parts of the sketch, or one of the other ways to separate mixtures that they read about in their readings. So now that they have a good idea of what it means to separate mixtures and what mixtures are, it's time to do an experiment or to do some kind of hands-on inquiry. So you can have them gather a bunch of small twigs and straight pins mixed together, a magnet and a glass of water. Explain to the students that they're going to perform the same separation tests that Uncle Paul and the boys did in the chapter you read. Then let them use the magnet to separate a portion of the pins, and once they're finished, mix the pins and twigs back together. Then have them add half a cup of the mixture to a glass of water. The twigs should float to the surface while the pins will sink to the bottom. After the students finish, discuss their results with them and have them write a short lab report. 
On the final day of Science That Week, you can have them watch a video on separation techniques used in chemistry, or you can have them make a t-shirt using chromatography. Then you give them an oral quiz by asking them to define what a mixture is and have them name four ways that you can separate mixtures. So basically, when you're using a living book for science, you read a section and chat about what was read, using this discussion to pull out the key scientific facts. You have them flesh out the concepts by reading about them from other sources and have the students write down what they have learned. Then you do an experiment that helps them see the concepts in action and then wrap up the week with a few extras and an oral quiz or a written test. Plus, at some point during the year, you set aside time to do a science fair project. This scenario would take about 30 minutes a day to complete. Scenario number four, piecing together a unit. So just like during the elementary years, when you piece together a unit for middle school science, you're exploring topics that either the student is interested in or you want to cover with them. You do this by creating or purchasing a plan that will help you to share about the topic using the tools. So hands-on inquiries, scientific readings, organized writing, along with that annual science fair project, which actually could be a unit all into itself. Here is what a week of piecing together a unit for middle school science could look like. The possibilities are endless for topics you could choose, but let's chat about what a week would look like when you're learning about fossils as part of a larger unit on rocks. So you can begin the week by having the students read about the three types of fossils, impression fossils, trace fossils, and replacement fossils, from a field guide or from an age-appropriate resource. Then you could have them create an outline in their notebook about these three types of fossils. They can include sketches and or pictures as examples. Just make sure that they label that fossilized specimen on each one. Then have them look up your state's official fossil and add that to the page in their notebook. The next day, you can have the students observe some fossils that you found or ones that you've purchased and have them identify the different types of fossils and create an entry in a rock journal with a sketch or picture of the rock along with a list of the details that they have observed. Then have the students create their own impression fossil using an object from nature and some plaster of Paris. So when you piece together a unit, you spend time observing and reading about the subject. You write down what you've learned in a notebook or journal. Then you add in a bit of hands-on inquiry and a bit of internet research. And in the end of your unit, you can give a quiz or test. And just like the other scenarios, at some point during the year, you'll do a science fair project with the students. These units can be a month long or longer than that, but this scenario would take you probably about 30 to 45 minutes a day to complete. In a nutshell, although there are many different methods for teaching middle school science, your goals remain the same. You want to begin to train the student's brain to think analytically about the facts of science. You want to familiarize the student with the basics of the scientific method through inquiry-based activities, and you want to continue to feed the student with information about the world around them. It's perfectly fine to try out the options to see which one fits best as long as you make sure that you hit all three keys. So you need to be doing some kind of hands-on science. You need to be gathering scientific information and writing down what you've learned each week, plus that yearly science fair project. If you have time, you can sprinkle in the remaining tools of internet research and assessments. But when you teach science this way during the middle school years, your student will learn quite a bit about science. And when the time comes, they will be prepared to tackle the challenge of high school science. In the next episode of Season 4, we are going to move on to the next stage of our roadmap to teaching science, the high school years. 
Until then, thanks for listening. I hope that you leave our time together encouraged in your homeschool journey. Let me know what you think by leaving a rating or review in iTunes or in the podcasting app you use to listen to the Tips for Homeschool Science show. I would so appreciate you taking the time to do so, as it inspires those of us who work so hard to put this podcast together for you to enjoy, and it helps others find this podcast. I would love to connect with you beyond the earbuds. You can find me at Instagram at Elemental Science. Or drop me an email through the link on our website, which is elementalscience.com. I can't wait to share with you another piece of the roadmap in our next episode. But until then, I hope you have a great week playing with science. This podcast is free for you to enjoy thanks to the programs we offer at Elemental Science. Our company got its start one day over 10 years ago with a simple question. If you're doing all that work to create science curriculum for our daughter because you can't find what you needed, don't you think someone else is looking for the same thing? And with a whole lot of work, those simple plans for our homeschool became the several lines of award-winning science curricula we offer today. At Elemental Science, our goal has always been to provide you with easy-to-use science plans to help you share the wonders of science with your students. Come see how we can help you teach science at elementalscience.com.